Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. I don't know how many of y'all got to the tag question, uh, but the question was, um, question kind of had to do with some of the dirtiest jobs or the most disgusting um, job you've ever had to do. So I thought um, for a minute here, uh, we could talk about um, some of the dirtiest jobs um, in America. And I looked it up, there's a little report here, and then I added one at the end, and I'm not sure if this happens in America or where this happens. Um, But there are some pretty disgusting things that some people have to do, and maybe this isn't something you'd be able to stomach, but we really appreciate the people who do these things for us. Um, And the first are these guys. Um, These guys are sewer inspectors. Um, so, you know, you, you, you think you, you going to school is a crappy job. I mean, you, their job, <laughs> yeah, you get it? Dad joke, right? But, um, yeah, so what, what they do, it says that sewer inspectors um, have to go unclog tree roots from sewers that have it stopped up, and that oftentimes they have to bring two to three changes of clothes with them. So just, just, just think about that. Um, another dirty job is pig slop processor. So what they do, um, apparently, I didn't know this, that on the outskirts of Las Vegas, it's the pig slop processing capital of America because what they do is all the leftovers from all these big buffets in Las Vegas get sent to the pig slop processors and these guys grind up all the leftover buffet food and serve it to pigs. So that not, not a job I'd want. Bloodworm hunter. So your whole job is to hunt these things. If you like to fish, you know these make really good, those red worms, they make really good fish bait. But did you know that if, you, if you're a blood worm hunter, you can make between eighty dollars and $100,000 a year. So if your guidance counselor hasn't brought that prospect up to you, you need to find a new guidance counselor, right? Another one, some of you would, some of you would like to do this too much and it concerns me, um, but you could be a crime scene cleaner. Do you know they pay people to go clean up messy crime scenes? So if you're a little mess, if you're a little twisted in the head, this might be a good job for you, but I think it's a a dirty job. Another one, this one's pretty rough, an animal urine collector. So um, if you're a hunter, you know how important it is to get some fresh, hot deer urine um, to mask your scent and to lure some big bucks in. But did you know, this is, this is what, what it says about urine collectors. Um, apparently you can buy coyote urine at Home Depot. You didn't hear it from me. Um, an animal urine collector um, keeps deer in rooms overnight and has a floor in the room with tiny holes where the urine drips and gets collected, and urine collectors have to come up with a gallon each night. So there you go. And then I don't know exactly what the official title for this job is. Apparently it's someone who works at a zoo. This is the last one. But this is one job. I could never bring myself to. And it's to clean out, oh, we went right to scripture. (laughs) It's to clean out impacted elephants. So when elephants are constipated, they send in the the green berets of the animal kingdom um, to to, to unimpact uh, those those elephants. So, now that we're done... Now that we're done talking about dirty jobs and everyone wants to go home and take a shower, um, we're kicking off a new series called Abide. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. Um, and as you're, uh, as you're turning there in your Bibles, um, 
the reason I talked about some of these dirty jobs is because as I was going through them, you probably thought, there is no way I would do that job. And oftentimes in our lives, spiritually speaking, we know that Jesus, I think most people understand that Jesus calls his followers to serve others, to serve him by serving others. But most of us, if we were honest, there are things that we would say, I couldn't do that. Or I would not do that. And tonight as we kick off this series, this series um, is on a really special section of the Bible in the book of John, a really special section of chapters, chapters 13 through 17. The, this section kicks off with Jesus setting an example for us to serve people. And the big, you know, the big truth tonight is this, if you want to abide in Christ, follow his example and serve. This series is called Abide and it has to do with us living in a, rela a close relationship with Jesus. We'll learn more about what abide means later in the series, but if we want to live close to Jesus, if we want to abide in Christ, we have to follow his example and serve. So turn to, you're at John chapter 13, and before we kind of dig in, I want to set it up a little bit because John chapter 13, 13 chapters into John, what do we know, does anybody know anything about the book of John? Start with the obvious. Well, it's one of the Gospels. That's good. Jason? Okay, yeah, Jason and I have had some conversations. It's, it's written differently. We'll get right back to that. There's one really obvious thing about the Gospel of John. It's in the Bible. Ah, yeah, Bell for the win. Uh, Bell for the win. It was written by John. Do we know anything about John? He was a disciple and Gabe got it right. He was not just a disciple, he was the beloved disciple. Uh, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So you know how like you have your friends and then you have your best friends, your best friends for life, your biffles. And then you've got like your one ride or die. You know what I mean? Jesus had his friends, his, his circle, the disciples. He had his Biffles, his close disciples, Peter, James, and John, and then he had his ride or die, John. This was written by the apostle, the eyewitness to Jesus, John. And it, as Jason said, it's different than the other three gospels. There are, th there are three or four eyewitnesses that wrote about the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you read through Matthew and if then you read through Mark and you read through Luke, what you'll notice is they all kind of follow the same format. There's this big like debate among scholars like, well, did, did the writer of Matthew, did he read Mark first and use Mark as like a template and then add his own experiences to that? Or did Mark read Matthew and then shorten like Matthew's account and include his own experiences? But what you learn is all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all look at kind of the same events and kind of follow the same pattern. That's why scholars call them the synoptic, you don't need to remember this, but the synoptic gospels. S-Y-N means the same, optic means view. They all follow, kind of look at the same things that are going on in the life of Jesus. But John's is like, like a whole other animal. How many of y'all got brothers and sisters and like there's one or two of you all that are very similar, but then there's this other one that you're like, he had to have been adopted. Like, 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 <laughs> like this one, this one is not like us. <laughs> like you, you have that, right? So, um, so John is not like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It has so much more percentage of different material, other glimpses into the life of Jesus, and this passage in thir chapter 13 through 17 is one of these glimpses into the life of Jesus that John gives us. There's one other thing you need to know about the book of John. 
And it's what I call the interpretive key. Maybe that's a little confusing. But how do we, why did John write this? When we're reading this, why, why, did John, why did John record this about the life of Jesus and this about the life of Jesus? He tells us in chapter 30, or excuse me, chapter 20, verse 31. John's writing, he says, these things, talking about all the things he wrote about Jesus, they're written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So from chapter 1 to chapter 21 of John, all the things were written for one purpose, so that you, like you, look at the person next to you, say you, this is written for you, so that you, as we're reading through this, we're going to learn all kinds of stuff, but the number one thing from reading John is that we might believe in Jesus and that by believing in Jesus, we'll have life in his name. Does that, does that make sense? Okay, so as we're jumping into chapter 13, you got to understand some of the things that are happening in Jesus's life. Jesus is 33 years old. To some of you, that sounds really old, ancient. To our leaders, maybe it doesn't sound that old. But Jesus is 33 years old. John chapter 1 talks about how Jesus was prepared for his ministry, like when he did all the incredible, awesome things on earth. Chapters 2 all the way through chapter 12 talk about the things that Jesus, Jesus' ministry to like these huge crowds of people. But then starting in chapter 13 through 17, it talks about how Jesus ministered to his disciples. And in chapter 12, just turn one page back to chapter 12 in John. We're not going to read it all. We're not even going to read it, but I, I want you to see what's happening. Something starts happening. Things start moving real quick. In the beginning of John chapter 12, Jesus is anointed by Mary Magdalene at, Beth, at, at this city called Bethany right outside of Jerusalem. She breaks this container of expensive oil and, and, and washes his feet with it with her hair as an act of worship and also recognizing him as the king. Then after that, we see that there's all these religious leaders and they're plotting to kill Jesus because Jesus claimed to be God. They're like, we don't believe Jesus is God. We believe he's committing like blasphemy. Like you're not allowed to just go around saying you're God. We need to kill him. But the problem is so many people love Jesus. If we kill him, they're gonna be mad at us. So we gotta like find this like, 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 like finesse way to get Jesus killed. So they're plotting. Then we read that Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem, the capital city where the temple is, and that when Jesus enters Jerusalem, that there are people that are so glad to see him because he's done all these miracles, and they're waving palm branches as he's riding in on a donkey. You remember this, some of y'all from Sunday school, Palm Sunday, as he's riding in on a donkey, they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and Jesus has has this triumphal, like awesome, almost like, like, like WWE wrestling entrance into Jerusalem. But then he starts preaching to that same crowd and you know what half the crowd does? They don't believe him. And then as Jesus continues at the end of chapter 12, and in Luke chapter 22, we read more about this, he tells his disciples, hey, go find, and he tells them where to find it, there's a, there's a house and there's an upper room in this house and tell the owner that the Lord needs it and go and fix the, prepare the Passover meal because it was Passover day. There's a lot to unpack. We don't have time to unpack about that. But it was, it was this incredibly meaningful, biblical uh, ceremony that the Jewish people observed and it was time to observe that. So Jesus, excuse me, and his disciples, they observed that Passover meal in this upper room. And that's where we 
come up to Luke chapter 13. So let's read it together, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. You're going to see Jesus do something that is just, just wild. So let's read. John chapter 13, and let's start in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, there it is, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world of the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That is a beautiful, like, highlight that, circle it, like, put a smiley face by it or something. That's a, be- that, that's a beautiful way to understand Jesus' love. He loved them to the end. During supper, they're eating this Passover supper, the devil had already been put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So you, some of you know the end of this story, right? Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, sells Jesus out and betrays him and turns him over to the people that want to kill him. And that Judas is already planning to do that. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he'd come from God, was going back to God. Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen in 24 hours. He's going to be crucified on the cross for our sins. It says, he rose from his supper. He laid aside his, we're going to talk about what this means, but he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. So all the disciples are eating this Passover meal and we think about eating a meal. We think about sitting at a table, elbows off the table, Mabel, you know, and, and we think about a table sitting in a chair. I don't know if I can get back up. And this is how they ate, the, they ate meals back then. They ate like this. They had this t- like really short table and they would recline on these mats. Do you like my moves? They would recline on these mats and they would eat their meal together. So they were down like this, and then it says Jesus arose. So think about what he had to do. He had to get up off the ground. He rose up. He went and he got a towel. He, ties the t- he takes his outer garment off. He ties the towel around his waist. And then it says he began to wash his disciples, I hate this word, feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So Jesus starts washing the feet of his disciples. I hate feet. We'll talk about it more in a second. Oh, feet. Anybody else? You just can't stand feet. Feet are disgusting. The smell of feet is the worst smell in the world. Okay. Verse six, he came to Simon Peter, uh, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him. He said, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but afterward, you'll understand. Peter's freaking out. Don't you wash my feet, God. Peter says to him, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, don't just wash my feet, but also my hands and my head. You know? Jesus says to him, the one who bathed does not need to wash. Some of you middle schoolers need to read this. The one who bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you're clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. That's why he said, you're not all clean. Verse 12. So he washed their feet and put his outer, he put his outer garment back on. He resumed his place. He got back down at the table. He's reclined. He said, do y'all understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. If then I, your Lord and teacher, I've washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And here, this is the big, the, the big verse. And if we get this verse, we're gonna get the whole rest of the passage here. Uh, he says, for I have given you as an example that you should do just as I've done to you. 
Jesus did this as an example to us. He says, truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place. So when it does take place, you may, oh, here's that word again. Believe that I am he. So I'm going to issue a challenge and see how, who can get it right. By next week, figure out how many times the word believe is in John 13 through 17. How many times we're in the challenge. I'll give you a gift card or something if you get it right. Truly, truly, verse 20, he says, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So, here we are. We are... Um, at a very interesting passage. Jesus, in this upper room, they're getting ready to eat this meal. He stops. He gets up from the meal. He puts on a, a towel around his waist. He takes water and he starts washing the feet of his disciples. The big thing that he did here is he, he served them, right? Jesus was a servant to them. And we're following Jesus' example right? And if we want to abide with Jesus, we need to be, we, we need to, we need to follow his example in serving. So for the next few minutes, we're going to talk about the example that Jesus set for us when it comes to serving. So we're going to look at three things. Um, they all start, they're, they're all M words for those of you like alliterations. I got M words and S words tonight. Uh, they're all M words that have to do with the example that Jesus set for us in serving. And the first thing, we need, if we're going to follow Jesus' example when it comes to serving, we need to follow the example of his motivation. Let's go back to this. this, this is, I love this verse. It says that, Jesus knew his hour come to depart out of the world, his father, having loved his own who were in the world, his own. Those are his disciples, right? How much did Jesus love them? He loved them to the end. He loved them all the way to the cross. Let's remember how unlovable the disciples were. They're almost as unlovable as you are. That's a joke. I'm not trying to burn you. Think about some of the, these are just the failures we know about of these disciples. Just listen to some of these disciples, what they did, how many times they messed it up. Peter didn't understand in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus' story, his parable of the four soils. He didn't get it. He was too stupid to understand it. Then in Matthew chapter 16, all the disciples, they misinterpret, they misunderstand Jesus' parable or his saying about the yeast of the Pharisees. This is a bad one. In Mark chapter 10, these disciples, they tried to keep the children away from Jesus. And Jesus lit them up because of it. It says he rebuked them. He became indignant and said, let the little children come to me. They got that one wrong. Peter tried to walk on water, but then took his eyes off Jesus and went, Doo! The disciples, all through Jesus' ministry, as they were following Jesus, there was this running argument about who was the best and who was the greatest. Like, I literally couldn't, I can't, I, I, there were so many scriptures, I didn't know which ones to write down. They argued and they argued and they argued. And what you learn if you read in Luke, the book of Luke, is that during this last supper, during this time where Jesus was washing their feet, they had just argued about who was the greatest. Who was the best? And then Jesus puts a towel on and wipes their feet. 
That's a burn, right? That's a burn. Peter interrupts the most holy moment to ever happen on earth in Mark chapter nine at the Mount of Transfiguration and wants to talk about like building booths and building projects. And Jesus is like, in a very nice way, says, Peter, stop. Matthew chapter 16, Peter tries to correct Jesus and tell him not to die on the cross. You know what he says to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? We learn later after this, after this supper, and Jesus knows this is going to happen, all the disciples except John and some of the, fe- the, the female followers of Jesus abandon him. And he knew that they would do that. Jesus knew that one of those guys sitting around the table, Thomas, would doubt his resurrection. These guys were hard to love. They're just about as hard to love as I'm hard to love and you're hard to love. But what does it say Jesus did? He loved them to the end. Why did Jesus serve them? Because he loved them. You know what else is really interesting? Oh, we, mm, I, we always run out of time. But um, what else is really interesting about Jesus' motivation, his love for these disciples, is that this was like the one time in Jesus' life where it would be totally understood if he just took his focus off of his disciples and focused on himself. You ever been going through a time in your life and you're like, I just need to like focus on me. Like, I just need some time for me. We call it right in 2024, we call it self-care. I need a self-care day. If there was ever a day that Jesus needed a self-care day, it was the day before he died on the cross. Uh, we don't have time to look at all these passages, but if you look, if you look at this, this little term right here, let me find a new color. Ooh, let's go with green. Um, it says, Jesus knew that what? His hour had come to depart out of this world. If you trace this word, this use of this word, Jesus' hour, all the way through the book of John, what you can see is that the whole book is leading up to this moment where Jesus would die in our place on the cross. Don't believe me? I got receipts. I try to bring receipts. John chapter 2, when, when Jesus' mother's trying to get him to perform a wedding at, at Cana, or not perform a wedding, turn water, into, turn water into wine at Cana, he says, hey, my hour hasn't come yet. John chapter 5, Jesus is talking about this hour that's coming when the tombs will hear the voice of the Son of God. In John chapter 7, remember these guys that were conspiring against Jesus? It said they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour hadn't come yet. It says in John 8, he spoke these words in the treasury of the temple. Remember, he, got, he was whipping people, driving people out of the temple. It says, no one arrested him because his hour had not come. But then in the chapter, right before chapter 13, this is what Jesus said. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And now, listen to Jesus' words, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? He says, no, for this purpose I've come to this hour. And then in John chapter 13, where we are, Jesus knew that his hour had come. He goes on to pray in chapter 17 that we'll get to in March. He says, Lord, Father, the hour has come. 
This is what Jesus' whole earthly life had been building up to. And we can see through, um, through the scripture here um, that his soul was troubled because of it. It was difficult for him to process and for, you, for, for him to prepare to suffer for our sins. And what does Jesus do? He serves the disciples around him. One of our biggest problems in our gener- my generation and in your generation is that we automatically make ourselves the main character of every situation that we're in. If we're going to follow Jesus' example, it means that that motivation of love for our brothers and sisters in Christ means that we say, well, first off, Jesus is the main character. And second, even though I'm going through stuff, because I love people, I'm going to continue to serve them. So the first thing we see, if we're going to follow Jesus' example, it's his motivation. It's his motivation for serving. What was his motivation? It was love. Then we need to follow Jesus' method. I got these like X's and O's here, you know, like everybody has to have a plan. You know, Alabama did not have a very good plan. Fourth and goal, and they decided to run it up the middle. What in the world? But you got to have a plan. You got to have a method. And Jesus had a method. There are some things, some ways that Jesus has served that we should model. The first is Jesus even served people who didn't deserve it. He served, you know whose feet Jesus washed? Sometimes we don't think about this. Jesus washed Peter's feet. He washed John's feet. He washed Thomas' feet. He washed James' feet. He washed Andrew's feet. He washed Judas's feet. Jesus washed the feet that in a few minutes would run out of that upper room and sell his life for 30 pieces of silver. Sometimes we say, I'd like to serve that. Yeah, I want to serve God, but I'm not serving Carson. No way. I heard what he was saying about me. Yeah, yeah, I'll serve, but no, I'm not going to serve Eliana. She gave me a nasty look the other day. Uh Uh-uh. Jesus even served the one who would betray him. That was part of his method. Jesus also wasn't worried about how he would be perceived. If you were to look into this, you would realize just this was a countercultural thing for Jesus to do. Normally, in this, like in these Jewish houses, there would be a servant who would be, <laughs> this would be the, you talk about dirty jobs, this would be the worst job. He was in charge of washing the feet of guests as they would arrive. Okay, think about it. Middle East, sandals, 100 plus degree weather, sweating profusely, rolling down your body. Where does it go? Your feet and your sandals. What does that make your feet? Sticky. What happens when you walk with sticky feet in sand? Yeah. It's like you're still finding sand from the beach trip that you took six months ago, right? So when people would go into a house, there would be a servant there that would have a towel around him and a basin of water. And when that person would come in, he would get down on his knees and he would wash their feet. And the Jewish culture most of the times would forbid Jewish people from doing that job because it was considered beneath them. They would bring Gentiles. They bring in people that were foreigners in other countries to do that because it was considered to be such a low job. And everybody's sitting around this table and there's a problem. This house did not have a servant to wash these people's feet. And I wonder if everyone was kind of thinking, man, this is weird. Like, this is awkward. We're all sitting around here with dirty feet. You ever think about the way they were sitting too? Like, the feet were like, like if you're you're reclined, like your feet are next to the 
other person. So like everybody's looking at each other's dirty feet and everything. who's gonna wash these feet? And then there's like this gasp because they're all talking about who's the greatest. And then Jesus gets up and he puts on this towel, takes the form of a servant. He doesn't care what they think. He doesn't care how he's perceived. And he starts washing their feet. And then he does the, the work of a, of a servant. Then what we learn about Jesus' method is his method is supposed to be duplicated. If Jesus was willing to serve, his followers should serve too. Look at, look at this. He says, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master. Are you better than Jesus? Are you better than Jesus? Am I better than Jesus? So if Jesus was willing to do the job that he should not have done, according to culture, and that no one else would do, and wash people's feet and I'm not better than Jesus, and you're not better than Jesus? Is there any level of service or any kind of service that is beneath us? Absolutely not. That was Jesus' method. But look at the promise. He says, let me change my colors here again. We'll go with a nice North Carolina blue, go heels. If you know these things, blessed are you, not if you know them, if you do them. Have you ever heard the term or the phrase, God helps those who help themselves? Has anybody ever heard that? God helped? Your parent? No? You never heard that? Maybe it's an old person thing. I don't know. I don't know where people got that from, but the truth is, God helps those who help others. He says, you'll be blessed if you serve others. We think the way to be blessed is to just grind, you know, every day, get up and do the things that some influencer tells us to do on Instagram. If we want to be blessed, we live a life of service to others. That's Jesus' method. And then finally, we need to follow the example of Jesus' method. I put a picture up here of a few guys, a few bros, a um, few of them here tonight who were serving in, um, in Pennsylvania on our mission trip. And most of the team got to play with kids, which is always fun, always interesting. But these four guys, they got stuck doing the, the grunt work. But you know what was incredible is they've opened up, and I've, even from talking to these missionaries that we served with, by putting together this food pantry, they've opened up the doors for gospel conversations to happen every day at Greater Deliverance Church in Coatesville, Pennsylvania. Because these guys got covered, right? Covered in drywall dust. Serving is from a motivation of love, we use the method of Jesus, but serving gets us to where there's a message that we get to share. Yeah, look, look at what this, yeah, and there, there are four E, you know, if you want to write these down real quick, there are four E's having to do with this message, the message of Jesus, the message that Jesus was trying to get, for, get across here. The first is it's exclusive. Look what Jesus says in verse six. He's talking to Peter and Peter's like, Jesus, like this is embarrassing. You are not going to wash my feet. <laughs> what, is, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. What Jesus is saying is, he's pointing to his death on the cross, right? And his blood washing our sins. He says, if I don't wash you, if you don't find forgiveness of sins through me, you won't find forgiveness of sins anywhere else. When we serve others, it's building a bridge to this exclusive message that there's one way to heaven, there's one way to eternal life, and it's Jesus. It's also eternal. 
Look at, verse, look, at, look at verse 10 of the same chapter. Jesus is talking with Peter and he says, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. Yeah, I was, I killed a stink bug today in the student ministry building and I made the mistake of squashing it with my fingers. And it took me a while, I was like washing my hands, washing, to get the smell off. And I got it off though. But I had just come into the, I'd just come into the building from home and before I came to the building, I was at my house and I had a nice long hot shower. Since I squished that stink bug and got a little stink bug guts on my finger, does that mean I got to go all the way home and take a shower again? <laughs> some, of you, some of you bug freaks are like, yeah. But no, you just wash your hands and you move on. That's what Jesus is saying is that when, when, when I cleanse you, when I wash you, when you're one of mine, you're one of mine forever. It's an eternal message. And when we serve, we build a bridge to that eternal message. It's also easy. Now, what do you mean by that? <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, it wasn't easy for Jesus, but Jesus made it as easy as possible for people to believe in him. Look at verse 20, look at, um, look at verse number 20. Jesus says, uh, or excuse me, verse number 19, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, Jesus is telling his disciples all of these things he's getting ready to do, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Jesus left an entire Old Testament predicting what we're going to do. He left four gospels that give us an account of what he did. He did all the work on the cross. All we have to do is Believe. We're, our, our message should be good news to people as we're serving. It opens up the door to give people the greatest news ever that Jesus did all the work and all that's left to do is believe. And then finally, it's a message that's been entrusted to us. Look at verse, 20, look at verse number 20. He says, truly I, tell you, I say to you, whoever receives, first off, I, love, I always love that word, whoever receives the one I send, receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So the me is Jesus. The one who sent me, that's God the Father. And what's he saying to them? He knows that he's going to die for our, for, for our sins. He's going to rise from the dead, and he's going to send them to preach the gospel to the entire world. And he's saying, when you do that, whoever receives the one I send, receives me. This message of Jesus has been entrusted to us. And when we serve others, we have the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And sometimes we're so worried about the way people are going to react. Man, what if they say no? What if they laugh at me? What if they ask me a question that I can't answer? Some of us are more concerned about how people respond to our message than we are about people never having the opportunity to respond to the message. You get that? Our job is not for people to believe in Jesus. Our job is to take the message. And we do that by building a bridge through serving. So if we're gonna abide in Jesus, we gotta follow his example. So how, how do we do this? How do we make this lesson stick? Three S's and we'll get out of here. We're gonna go quickly because we're about running out of time. The first is some of y'all need to serve like Jesus. You're, you've been a Christian for three years, four years, five years. You've been a Christian for six months and you're still not serving. You know, you, did you, you see what Jesus did when he served in this story? First, he took initiative. He saw a need and he just attacked it. Um, some of you, you see needs everywhere and you never do anything about them. You say, man, I wish God would send someone to do this. Why don't you just do it? What if, you, what if you, as you were, it's always interesting for me to watch lunch end at, at your schools. It is chaos. 
and there is stuff everywhere. You know what I'm talking about? Like there is stuff everywhere. And I always feel sorry for those custodians who are coming up behind all the students. And I mean, it's, it's like carnage. It's like World War II happened right there at Cabell Midland High School. What if the people that wore the Jesus Loves You shirts, they saw the need and they took initiative and took an extra 30 seconds before they hauled it off to the next class and picked up a few of those milk cartons and served those custodians who are serving everybody else. Just, just a thought. So Jesus took initiative. Everybody else is thinking, who's gonna wash these feet? Jesus is the one who got up, got up off his rear end and did it. Second, show humility. Jesus wasn't concerned about what people would think when he had the towel. Some of us are so concerned that if we serve others, we're gonna look weak. We're gonna look soft. Especially if we're serving people who have been mean to us or who have been unkind to us. Who cares? When you're serving, you look like Jesus. And no one's ever looked better than when they look like Jesus. And the third is get dirty. Get into it. Don't let whatever it is that, I'm not just talking about a gross factor, but whatever it is that's difficult about serving, stop you. Serve like Jesus. Next, share the gospel. Who, who do you know that's close to you but far from God? And then the final is, some of you tonight, you need to believe in Jesus for salvation. You've seen Jesus who served these disciples, but we know that he went on to serve, by, serve all of us by dying on the cross in place of our sin. We all deserve that penalty, but Jesus died in our place, and when Jesus took his last breath, my sin your sins, the sins of the entire world were paid for by Jesus on the cross. And he offers eternal life to anyone who will believe in him, as, trust him as their savior. Why don't you start off 2024 by becoming a child of God and trusting in Jesus. So we're gonna pray and we're gonna get out of here. So let's bow your heads and close your eyes. And um, as, we're, as we're wrapping this up, um, I just want to give you the opportunity uh, before we dismiss to think about which of these S's you need to commit to God in 2024. Maybe as you're thinking about how Jesus was such an incredible servant and set such a great example, maybe you're thinking, this is the year that I need to stop being the main character and I need to start serving other people. So if that's you, just take this next minute and commit that to God. Say, God, make me a servant like you. Give me opportunities to serve. Um, it may be that you're really starting to become convicted. There are people that I need to tell about Jesus. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, maybe for this next minute, you just need to say, God, give me people to share the gospel with and give me the words to say and give me boldness to do that. Or you could be on that third category. You've never trusted in Jesus as your savior. You don't have this thing nailed down and it's 2024. Tonight in the quietness of this moment, trust Jesus as your savior. Um, there's no magic prayer you have to say to become a Christian. It's a matter of trusting in your heart that Jesus died for your sin, but... You may want to talk to God as we have this prayer time and say something along the lines of, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need you and I trust that when you died on the cross that you paid the payment for my sin 
and that by believing in you and trusting in you, I can have eternal life that starts now and lasts forever. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. So whichever of those three you need to pray back to God and commit to God tonight, serving, sharing the gospel, trusting Jesus as your Savior, in the next moment, do it. Let's pray together. Lord, it's the beginning of a new year. Uh, we have students that today was their first day back to school and it, it, sometimes it hits like a freight train. We have students that are going back tomorrow and maybe in the next few days starting back. And um, God, as we get back into these rhythms, um, God, I pray for these three areas of our lives. Serving, sharing, salvation. God, what a, what a different year it would be if we committed one of those three to you tonight. What a change in our lives would happen if we did that. God, I pray that we will look to you, that we'll look to Jesus as the example. And we'll remember that we've never looked better than when we look like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.